This is Ben Brown, and I am pleased to welcome Dan Kalish. Uh, Dan Kalish is a longtime mentor of mine. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, I started studying functional medicine, and I was one of the, uh, I, I think, Dan, I think I was in maybe your second functional medicine training course, yep. um, one of your six-month training courses. Um, and uh, so this was about 2007, and um, it's been absolutely instrumental, the, the, the learning process and the coaching that I went through. And what I learned through that whole process in my business over the past 10 years in terms of just how I structured my whole business. So from a business standpoint and from an actual coaching um, client standpoint um, to helping people get better. Um, and so, Dan, a little bit of background here. Uh, Dr. Dan Kalish is dedicated to teaching doctors functional medicine philosophy and practices. Through the Kalish Institute's educational programs, he has trained over 1,000 practitioners worldwide in the Kalish method, which solves patient challenges through a proven lab-based approach. Uh, in May 2016, a research study published by two Mayo Clinic researchers confirmed the efficacy of the Kalish method, showing significant improvements in gastrointestinal health and quality of life in the study participants. The study was based on Dr. Kalish's model of functional medicine based on 25 years of successful clinical results. Graduates of the Kalish Institute include practitioners ranging from Dr. Mercola's medical staff to Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic physicians. Dr. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. How are you, sir? Hey, good today. Glad to be here and uh, glad to see you out spreading the word and letting people know about all these things. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to be with us. Um, Dan, tell me, what is, um, so a little bit of background, what is uh, the Kalish method? Now, functional medicine is a very complicated subject area. And it is a very simple way to approach functional medicine for patient education purposes, for practitioner implementation, as you learned when you did my class. And really, I think my um, contribution to the field is taking something that is so overwhelming and complicated and creating a model that is something that you can use in a reproducible way. And that, that fits together in a way that's easy for people to understand. When I was taking the course, as I recall, um, and, and that's something you, you did so well with the course was breaking it down in a way that was easy to understand. And not only was it easy to understand, but it was easy to teach our clients how to heal through your, your functional medicine coaching process. And as I recall, at the time, we had been focusing on three major body systems and we had been focusing on right the hormonal system, the digestive system, and the detoxification system. Um, can you talk about kind of what is functional medicine and how it applies to, to those systems, Dan? Yeah, functional medicine to me is, is basically it's a lab-based analysis approach that encompasses supplement programs and has a huge reliance, probably for the majority of treatment, on lifestyle change, diet, exercise, sleep, meditation, those kinds of things. And that, you know, functional medicine in general has tended to attract a really, uh, a very chronically ill patient population over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years since it's been around. And one of the things that I'm kind of pushing towards is also applying functional medicine to healthier people uh, in a way that we can apply, you know, before they actually get sick. Sure. So it, it can be used in a variety of ways, although, 
you know, classically, I think functional medicine was really designed for the sickest of the sick people that weren't responding to conventional medical care mm -hmm. and, and were quite desperate. But as we see now, you know, as it's really exploding in popularity, I think a lot more people are embracing this basic model of using lab assessments and science-based analysis with natural treatment programs, that combination. So how, how is, so you're saying using lab-based approaches, so people understand how are these lab-based approaches different than what conventional medicine is, is using to, to be objective about the process? Yeah, that's a really important question. And, and that kind of gets to the term functional, right? So we're using these tests to determine functional problems, meaning that there's a problem with the body and how it's functioning prior, hopefully many years prior to the onset of an actual disease. And in general, pretty much all conventional medicine lab testing and ways that we analyze things, whether it's with the CAT scan or MRI or you know, different kinds of studies that we do in conventional medicine are all oriented around finding a pathology or a disease process that's potentially life-threatening. And functional medicine kind of fills that gap so we can find health problems before they escalate right. to something as severe as diabetes or cancer, where the early you know, warning signs that that's happening. And that's really where the functional medicine labs come in. It's to spot the problems in the earliest stages before there is actually a disease. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so I see so many people turning to this functional or alternative medicine, if you will, um, as a means to not only get healthy because conventional medicine is not figuring it out, but also as a way to be proactive. And, you know, some of the things that we're seeing on a daily basis and that so many people are experiencing is issues with what well, we have energy and fatigue and gastrointestinal issues. And we know there's hormonal and thyroid issues, but all of these things are deemed as sort of a, a subclinical level, right? Because when we go and get conventional lab tests run, we get blood work run and no, you know, there's, there's really nothing wrong with you. You're within the the normal lab measures. And so from a, a physician standpoint is there's, there's really not much we can do. I mean, yeah, maybe exercise, probably eat better, but that's obviously nebulous in and of itself. So when we turn to the functional medicine approach, it's, it's a way for people to be, like I said, be more proactive and start to identify any of those, uh, start to address some of those issues and identify those issues at a much earlier level in the, the process. Does that sound fair? Absolutely. That's exactly what's happening. And I mean, I think it's what people are looking for. Why wait around until you have your first heart attack, right? We want to try to figure these things out um, yeah. at that early phase. And you know, the other thing is that, you know, the, the general population in the United States is so physically exhausted, tired all the time, slightly depressed and overweight that we, you know, we, we kind of created this sort of gray zone of sickness yeah. that doesn't really get addressed by conventional medicine anyways, you know, it's not really their thing to figure out. And uh, I think that functional medicine really shines in that regard too. People who don't sleep well, people who don't have a good sex drive, people who don't, you know, have the energy that they need and those kinds of things. Yeah. And, you know, what I see is, is we tend to think that that's kind of normal. Like no one sleeps enough, right? We're constantly yeah. stimulated through electronics and and light and um, stress and all of this stuff. And so isn't that, we, we kind of get this impression that isn't that normal for us? To, yeah, I mean, we're gonna be tired, right? We're gonna have energy issues, um, but I don't think people realize the extent that it goes and how much it's contributing to that disease state, right, long-term. And that also that there's things that we can do about it right now if people are willing to take action towards it. And it's not just lab testing and supplementing, it's obviously addressing those lifestyle factors, which we'll get into. Um, 
So, so we had talked about, you know, I had mentioned sort of those three body systems that we had looked at in terms of hormonal issues, gut issues, detoxification issues. I want to know two things is I want to know how do we test those things? What does that look like? And then since I studied with you 10 years ago, how have your, um, how has your process, how have your body systems analysis process expanded to include other things? What are you, what are you passionate about in terms of the testing right now? Oh yeah, things have changed a lot. So um, to answer the, to start in the beginning, so the three body systems, you know, we do uh, analysis for hormones and uh, neurotransmitter functions. So we consider that like neuroendocrine and you can measure urinary metabolites for all the major neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine or epinephrine you can do salivary hormone assays for the main stress hormones like cortisol and dhea of course you can do a conventional test also a blood test for thyroid so we get a really big picture of that first neuroendocrine system we understand what's happening with the brain and the hormones yeah and that to a large extent is what we're feeling day to day you know if people are dragging if they're you know they're they're compulsively overeating all the things that kind of have to do with the brain and the hormones are pretty much what we experience moment to moment and, and how we're feeling. And then the second body system is where, you know, naturopathic medicine has always sort of excelled, which is figuring out gut problems. You know, what's going on with the microbiome, which is a really hot topic these days. You sure. see it in news pretty much every day. And the naturopaths have been doing this for, I don't know, at least two, 3,000 years. We're looking at the gut, figuring out what are the right foods for that person? Are there any pathogens or any bugs going on in there that mm -hmm. need to be resolved? So we do a lot of testing for that, uh, stool testing. And there's some much, very sophisticated advanced stool testing that's come out in the last year or two, as you probably know, where there's now DNA analyses you can do with PCR testing. Same kind of test that you would do at a crime scene if they find a drop of blood at the crime scene, they run a DNA test on it. You can do that same exact technology now looking for parasites and bacteria and yeast. So there's been some huge uh, technical advances in the field just in the last you know, five, 10 years. And then um, the third area we look at is detoxification. And I have this Firm belief, you know, I go to, you know, a half a dozen, a dozen seminars a year, conferences, and sometimes I'm a speaker, sometimes I'm attending and listening to doctors. And I'd say one of the things that I just hear the most consistently from the leaders in our field, the people who are senior to me, you know, who've been in this field 50, 60 years, is just the devastating effect of environmental toxins. Yeah. As we're seeing global climate change happening and you know, all the issues that are happening in the environment at large, you know, the human body is being exposed to unprecedented levels of, unprecedented levels of toxins. And the effect that that has on the human body is, is, is pretty dramatic. And whether the brain is being damaged, whether the endocrine system or hormones are being disrupted, whatever it may be. And then to answer the second part of the question, you know, that in addition to the new techie stuff, I'm mean, really into techie stuff. So I, I love the fact that we have this new PCR testing for the stool to find bugs that we used to miss all the time. But what's kind of really opened up my mind the most in the last couple years, maybe the last five years, is now I'm running organic acids testing on every patient. And, you know, I'm a little late to the party on this one, but boy, we are seeing consistently these patterns of what we call hypometabolism, where you've got just a complete bloodbath with the mitochondria. Right? You've got mitochondria under oxidative stress. So the mitochondria, which are the energy-producing portions of the cell, um, as you well know, are so important for exercise and fitness and brain function and all that good stuff. We just often see, a, you know, absolute destruction of this mitochondrial energy system. And organic acids testing really details out how that's being impacted and, and the things that you can do to get mitochondrial energy working again. 
Um, and I find myself now, as you know from before, doing a lot of adrenal hormone programs, a lot of brain support and whatnot. But now I'm finding with maybe more than half of my patients, maybe more like three quarters, we have major mitochondrial issues. And if we don't get these energy systems up and running, they're really going to be hampered in terms of helping the body heal. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like there's um, sort of this vicious cycle that goes on within those body systems, right? In terms of saying there may be some adrenal dysfunction, there, there's most likely some gut dysfunction going on, whether it be a, a parasite or bacteria or something like that. And then we do certainly have some detoxification system issues in terms of mitochondrial damage um, and you know protein, carbon, fat, metabolism issues um, and things like that. And it, it's, I, from what I recall is, is they influence each other as well. And so, you know, you could certainly run an adrenal panel and, and say, well, your adrenals, which probably doesn't happen very much, but your adrenals look pretty good in terms of your cortisol function to your DHEA function. We'll talk about that in a little, in a little bit here, but you know, you have H. pylori as an example, or you have H. pylori plus another parasite that's, you know, causing this certain level of inflammation um, or ongoing stress in your body, right? And and that in and of itself could also be contributing to some uh, mitochondrial dysfunction or um, free radical damage or something like that. Is is that some? Oh yeah. The, the thing is that the mitochondria are really delicate structures, and they're sensitive to any kind of acceleration of oxidative stress, which basically means anything that's inflaming the body or damaging tissues. So. Definitely a gut-related infection is going to cause oxidative stress and damage the mitochondria. So could emotional stress. If you've got enough emotional stress, you know, that, you know, it's kind of strange to say, but being really emotionally stressed out is an inflammatory state, right? We're pro-inflammatory. So that in and of itself could generate oxidative stress that could hit the mitochondria. And of course, as soon as you put, you know, a big bite of some really unhealthy food in your mouth, you know, you're going to generate enough you know, trauma to your gut lining just from food sure. to damage mitochondria. So yeah, we see this. It's uh, and then oh, then we didn't even mention the biggest one, the most important one is environmental toxin exposure. So you can be, you know, you can be like me. I'm at the farmers market every Sunday at nine oh five, and I'm like the nerdy, geeky guy with the bike baskets buying his organic vegetables. I'm gonna go home and juice that day. You could be as clean as you want. You could wear Birkenstocks all day long, but you can't escape breathing. Right. You can't escape environmental toxins, and the majority of them we breathe in. Yeah. So unless you're going to walk around with like an air mask with a filter on it or something, you know, we're this is just a ongoing problem. Our mitochondria are just taking a hit every day. Yeah, and it's, so it's something you just have to absolutely be prevented about. Uh, about. And, and it's, you know, the environmental toxins, yeah, we're breathing stuff in, we're putting things on our, is be educated about it. We're putting, we're putting toxins on our skin. We're putting, you know, lotions on our skin. We're drinking, you know, from plastics or microwaving plastics. Um, you just can't escape some things, but obviously being educated about it is important. And then utilizing the testing process to really dig deep and say, okay, here's your pathways that are, for lack of a better term, gunked up. And here's how we can support those pathways through nutrition and lifestyle to allow yourself to, you know, allow your liver to, to detoxify better and allow your body to therefore function better by increasing uh, mitochondrial capability, energy, energy producing capability, right? Exactly. And I mean, it's amazing how well these programs work. And, you know, for like when you first met me, I didn't really 
had to, you know? Now, meaning that I, if I was not succeeding with the patient, I'm like, oh, it's a more complicated case. I'm going to do organic acid testing. Now I do it on every new patient. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to spot my adrenal failure cases early on. I'm able to see the people who are not really going to respond to thyroid treatments early on because you'll see an adrenal lab that's kind of so-so, maybe a little bit with the thyroid, but then this complete failure of the mitochondria to function properly on the testing, and you'll know that you know, that's an area I need to focus on. Now, it's also common with athletes, right, from overtraining. Sure. You can burn your mitochondria out. I mean, if you're, especially if you're an endurance athlete, um, pretty easy to generate enough oxidative stress by running 26 miles all the time to, to give your mitochondria a pretty big push in a negative way, you know? Yeah, and very poor nutrition over a lifetime. Yeah. Right? I'm not against exercising. I exercise every day. Obviously, it's not anti-exercise at all. Yeah. But, you know, you have to take into account what you're doing when you exercise and make sure that your healthy solutions are, you know, proportionate to how much you're pushing your body physically. Yeah. So I'm going to back up a sec and talk about my experience with the functional medicine testing, uh, in particular, the adrenal testing and the digestive system testing. And so when, you know, I, I'm assuming you still do this, but when practitioners first start training with you, you have them test themselves. Right. Yes, exactly. In my particular case, so this was 2007. Um, I don't think I was married yet. I think I was just about to get married, but I mean, so so we ran adrenal tests, we ran digestive system tests, but I recall that we got the uh, adrenal test results back, and both my wife and I um, had run the uh, well, my wife now at the time, but we had run the the test and. I, I recall that it was just normal. Like we didn't have any, you know, adrenal issues and, and kind of everyone else in the class, most of them were a little bit older because I was only 26, I believe, or 27 at the time when we ran it. So, I mean, my, you know, my stress, I, it was vanilla. I mean, nothing was going on. I mean, I was working, I was sleeping great. I had a very clean diet, so to speak. And so you, everyone was kind of perplexed at the, the lack of adrenal issues, which... <laughs> To be fair, of all the, the hundreds of adrenal tests that I've run, I, have, I don't know if I've ever seen normal um, adrenal levels. And I still I, talk about that. Do you? I, I still talk about that on a regular basis in class 10 years later. And it was both of us, too, which was... I know. Which can, was, I tell you, can I tell you something? This is a plug for you and your marriage, okay? I, I tell them the only way that these... Well, first of all, I say we test everybody, and I've tested and train thousands of doctors, okay? So I have seen, when you go back 20 years, I've seen probably tens of thousands of doctors' labs, practitioners' labs, right? And you, you, there's like three people that came in normal, you and your wife, and there's two other people we'll talk about later if we have time. So the number one thing is that you guys, and I remember this really clearly, where do you guys get your food? Well, we drive to the farmers, not to the yeah. farmer's market, but we drive to the farmers. You're going like, you're cutting out the commute of the farmer, you're going right to where the you know, the land is that's growing it, number one, obviously very physically fit, you know, yeah. getting enough sleep. And here's the last one. And I think this is the most important that undermines a lot of people is that you guys were in and obviously still are a very loving and good, intimate relationship. You had a good partnership. You supported each other. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you when we have, it is, I don't know how, I don't want to say this in a, in a negative way, but people who are in unsupportive relationships, have immune system failure, mitochondrial problems, GI issues all, consistently. It's very rare to see someone who's in a really supportive long-term marriage who's sick. Yeah. It's just really rare. 
And I think that almost that, that connection and having a partner that really supports you, it almost gives you a certain level of immunity mm-hmm. to all these different health problems. And I've just seen this. I and mean, if we could line up all the doctors that I've tested, their adrenal levels would match the quality of their marriage <laughs> pretty directly. That's so, awesome. I know, yeah. isn't that? So that, and I, I do, I talk about you guys on a regular basis because you learn the most from the exceptional tests. Right? Yeah, well, with that, you know, to be fair, I, I haven't run an adrenal profile in a while, but I guarantee if I ran it now, three kids later, 10 years of marriage and, uh, you know, three businesses, <laughs> I yeah. promise it would be significantly different. Each kid, I always joke mostly with women, each kid takes about 10 points off your adrenal lab. Oh, that's man. A, yeah, that's, that's just the way it is. Three kids is like, yeah, there's no way. So that's a given is, is, you know, I got to the point in my practice where I was expecting a certain level of in adrenal insufficiency. And, and oftentimes, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is stuff that I could really pick up just by getting a good idea of what the client's lifestyle looked like. Like, what time do you wake up? How do you feel when you wake up? When are your energy levels the best? When are they the worst? How do you feel before you go to bed? Is it easy to fall asleep? You know, do you sleep through the night? And you can kind of get an idea of their circadian rhythm, right? Of their of their natural yeah. cortisol rhythm yeah. throughout the day. And so I, I found that that's something that was very valuable in talking to the client about and educating the client about and helping them understand that, you know, what we do on a daily basis, how much caffeine we're consuming, how stimulated we are at what times of the day, why it's important to actually sleep when it's, it's you know, at, when it's dark outside versus be awake when it's light for people that do shift work, um, how that stuff is so important. Now, th- the second component to that was the digestive system test. And what I picked up on myself was that I had H. pylori. Um, mm-hmm right, which is a bacterial infection that, that kind of lives in the stomach, right? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize the prevalence of H. pylori, but, but what was so significant for me, Dan, was that this has been something, had been something that I had been suffering with since I was um, um, a teen. And to the degree that I was having in high school, I was having severe um, acid reflux type issues. I was throwing up a lot. I was severely limited to sort of the types of foods that I could consume. And that really initiated my path into nutrition, clinical nutrition, functional medicine, and ultimately how I found you. um, Because that is something I dealt with up until I was, you know, 27 years old. And then we ran the H. pylori test and I went through the herbal treatment protocol and we retested and it was gone. And Honestly, I have not had any even remotely close gastrointestinal symptoms since. And of course, I do eat very clean, so to speak. You know, I try and manage my stressors. But and, and I know, you know, if I'm eating certain things, I'll start to get a little more inflamed, gut inflammation, stuff like that. But that changed my life, Dan. It was incredible. Don't you love that? That's functional medicine that's best, right? You you weren't dying. You weren't going to the emergency room. It wasn't like you had stomach cancer. You had a functional problem that functional medicine with one simple lab completely changed. Yeah, it it was remarkable. And, and um, like I said, I mean, it it spurred my whole journey into taking a different approach, just being able to look outside the box and dig deeper. And, And for you, something that really taught me in addition to obviously the clinical testing, which I think is so important is, is really look into someone's history and yeah. identifying where are your stressors, you know, and really look, I mean, 
is we all have a certain level of emotional stressors. And I recall you saying that usually there's something significant that happens at some point in someone's life that is really a precursor to a lot of their, whether, you know, health issues, uh, emotional, um, adrenal issues, things like that. Um, right. Yeah. There's almost always within a year or two of people getting sick, there's almost always some big emotional push on their system. And it, Typically, is one of two things. Either there's a death in the family, someone dies in the family, or they go through a divorce or separation of some kind. And, um, and then within a year or two, the immune system being a little bit weak, they start to have these adrenal issues, their gut starts to fall apart, they pick up some pathogens, and all of a sudden they're, they're often running down this cascade that you're kind of referring to earlier, where they're in a sort of downward spiral, where each thing is then triggering the next thing. It's like dominoes falling down. And then... You know, 10, 15 years later, people accumulate enough symptoms that they stumble into a doctor's office trying to unravel it all. I mean, that's the typical yeah. progression that we see. Like, yeah. you, like you had the H. pylori probably for a good 10 years before we yeah. even found At least. It. At yeah. least. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and, and then significance of um, or the, sort of the preponderance of H. pylori, I mean, a, a significant portion of the American population has it from what I understand. Is that... Yeah. And so, and for some people it can be absolutely harmless, you know, it's, and I think this is true for a lot of these GI bacteria, parasites, yeast overgrowth. It's the, um, uh, it's the weakening of the immune response that allows these bugs to flare up and cause issues. So if you look back, like when you were a teenager, the original H. pylori symptoms may have accompanied some thing. I don't know what's going on. You're probably doing a lot of sports then. Maybe you're under pressure to perform more sports or, something was going on in the family, maybe moved or something that might've been, it could have been a breakup with your first girlfriend or something that happened, you know, yeah. that was uh, enough to push your system to the point where that could flare up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, you probably was maybe low stress tolerance, you know, just struggling with school, trying to find motivation and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, anyways, um, anyway, so like I said, it was life changing for me and it, it has had a strong influence in, in my career up to this point to the to the degree that my my business i i called my business body systems healing and performance right after the three right. body systems that we started right. treating and now since i've started our our supplement company it's body systems labs and you know because oh, nice. like really rooted, rooted in trying to help people understand their health and give people the resources to do so um so anyways i thought that was you know, it's, uh, it's funny how things come full circle. Um, Dan, I wanted to talk about your research study. So you had uh, a research study published through a uh, Mayo Clinic, or you did research through the Mayo Clinic. Can you talk a little bit about what that, that research study looked like? Yeah, so we had about six, seven years ago, several doctors from the Mayo Clinic took my training program. They went through the whole six months, whether or not. Every week they're on the calls. And um, we decided after they, they went, after they went through the training, kind of understood what I was doing, that we would do what Mayo Clinic does, which is research what I'm doing and see how effective it really is. And so it took a few years to put all the money together and get it all structured. But we finally published a study last spring in 2016. And we took 25 women in high stress positions, many of them, you know, kind of corporate jobs, some of them just with three kids, that's enough to cause stress. Yeah. But you know, the idea was women who are working that are you know trying to balance family and 
and their personal life and, and their work life all together. And then we did the adrenal and GI testing on them at the beginning and end of the six month treatment period. And I did all the usual treatments that I do with supplements and lifestyle changes. And the big difference was, you know, that we were being hyper monitored and every pill that everybody took was being accounted for. And um, after all the careful tracking and all the scales that we measured in all the labs, we really showed an even greater benefit than I would have imagined, um, which is wonderful. In terms of things like people had more energy, they had fewer female hormone complaints, several people had problems like chronic pain and headaches going away, and a lot of the GI symptoms that they had, as, as you experienced yourself personally, started to clear up. Yeah. So that was a, um, a big stamp of approval from one of the larger medical research groups in the world to say, hey, functional medicine is real, something that we should be looking at. It'd be nice if we did more research on this. And it's, um, I think the main point is it's safe. Yeah. People get better. And, you know, there's not a really big downside to changing your diet, taking care of a few infections like H. pylori, right? There's not, there's, there's really not much bad that can come of it and so much good. And I think that's maybe the skepticism that a lot of us have in our culture over whether integrative medicine is helpful or dangerous or, you know, we're trying to alleviate that with the things like the study that I published. Yeah, and even if it's a means to create more accountability within the patient and give them the opportunity to, uh, or almost give them the opportunity to invest in that lifestyle education, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm invested in all these lab tests and I'm going to actually go through with the practitioner's guidelines of saying, look, now I need to eat better and sleep better and I need to manage my stressors better, if nothing else, right? Is, it's an opportunity for them, for them to do that. Um, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things from within the study is, is some of the subjective measures um, that showed up is, uh, you know, it equated to a 38% decrease in, in fatigue that the, the patients reported, um, a 22% decrease in confusion subscale or maybe more cognitive, better cognitive function uh, for, the, uh, um, for the patients. Um, sig significant increases in uh, vitality, uh, physical functioning, and emotional well-being, which is all uh, phenomenal. And uh, something you know that brings us back to the H. pylori was uh, there was a significant improvement in the H. pylori infections, um, with nine participants testing positive at the beginning of the study and only one remaining positive at the end. Which that's big. Because that was pretty good, right? Eight out of nine we got. I'm going to have to say it. that was pretty good. That was very impressive yeah. when I was reading through that because I can't tell you how many times I've had clients that have showed up with H. pylori that have said they've been through multiple bouts of yeah. antibiotics and, and triple therapy and things like that from their uh, conventional medicine doctors that have done nothing to remedy the H. pylori infections. And that was all with herbs, no antibiotics. Right. So that was my, so that was my next question is, um, what sort of herbs? So, so what is, what is a typical supplement protocol looking like for people, uh, for these people that were undergoing the, um, that were involved in the study? Yeah. And here's the, the reason why we cleared out so many of the infections and it was like 80 plus percent, uh, not, not only H. pylori, but the other bugs that we found was that you know, because of this two-step approach that we, we talked about, first of all, 10 years ago, where we look at the stress variables in the lifestyle, and we strengthen the adrenal glands first for a few months and get all the lifestyle factors in place. So we're reducing inflammation, we're improving the microbiome just by improving the diet, and we're really focusing on um, 
increasing secretory IgA or the yeah. globulins in the gut. And then you hit with the herbs and you've already upregulated this whole immune response. And so you target these organisms and just wipe them out. Not because I have a special herb from South America that's only right. one tree that costs a million dollars. It's because we prepare these people for the ability to engage the natural healing systems of the body. And then the herbs can do their job and we got, you know, 80, 90% of these. And it, I mean, it seemed like it was a very um, reasonable supplement regimen that yeah. we're on. It looked like it was sort of a, a, a multi-mineral, multi, multi uh, multivitamin approach. You were using um, two, you were using pregnenolone and DHEA to support the adrenals, right? You were using um, some licorice root to support uh, cor uh, cortisol half-life. Um, and then I'm assuming the herbs to, to treat whatever the gut imbalances were. Um, seemed like a very reasonable approach, which kind of... Um, takes me to what were you guys doing from the lifestyle coaching standpoint? Because from what I understand from the study is they, uh, the participants um, were allowed kind of a weekly coaching call throughout, or maybe it was a monthly, a weekly coaching call throughout the... In the beginning, it was once a week. And then later on, so it was a six month study. So we had a long period of time. So in the beginning, I forget now, I think it was like six or eight weeks. It was once a week. Okay. Lifestyle coaching meetings. And then we went to a once a month follow-up. And we basically did, um, for everybody, because we had to keep it standardized, right? Exactly. We, didn't, we didn't have a control group. This was like only a 25-person study, and we didn't right. have millions of dollars. So there's, there's no control group. We just took 25 people and ran them through the protocols. Um, but so everybody went on uh, gluten and dairy and sugar-free diet with no alcohol and no caffeine. For was, all was, six months? Yeah, can you believe that? Okay. Now, not everybody complied. We didn't get 100% compliant. But the really fascinating thing to me about this was uh, people, because they were in a group, were very supportive of one another. And we, let me put it this way, we got better compliance with that group than I typically get in my regular private practice. And I thought it would be the opposite because these are like study participants, how seriously are you going to take this? And, yeah. But they really cared and they really wanted to get better. These were, I wouldn't say these were desperate people, but these were people who were ready to really make it happen. And maybe they didn't have the financial resources otherwise, or maybe they were just too busy otherwise to take this on. But somehow participating in the study really kind of catalyzed this level of enthusiasm. Um, I also think that when they're in a group and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, all your menstrual problems went away in this first month and you just stopped sugar. Oh, maybe I should stop cheating and I'll stop my sugar too. You know, so there's yeah. a lot of um, a mutual support, I think, as well. That was part of the group experience. Yeah, the value of establishing a community of like-minded people is is huge, and we know that, right? We know that um, for everything that suggests, you know, the blue zones, the people where, you know, the areas of the world where people live the longest, is the the role of community, the role community plays in helping people maintain longevity, and it's not just about nutrition and exercise. Is having that sense of of value, self worth. A belonging all of that stuff is very very important in the healing process right and so i think that that certainly could have been something that could have helped people be so compliant for that whole because that's pretty strict i mean i certainly would not have wanted to go through gluten-free dairy-free um, alcohol-free sugar-free for for six months so kudos to them for doing that um, i'd be very interested to see follow-up in terms of you know what um, a group that didn't under, you know, that did testing before and after, but maybe didn't undergo any supplement uh, regimen, 
looked like in terms of subjective measures of well-being um, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, we, we mushed it all together, so there's no way to kind of tease out those variables. The other thing that was really interesting about the study was that there were some notable failures. There were some people, I think there was maybe three or four, who on the retesting were just hands down worse. Mm. You know? And usually when you're in private practice, you don't really get a chance to retest people who get worse because they don't come back. Right. Know? But these people were all trapped with me for the six months, whether they were getting better or not. They had to keep coming and doing all these things. So every single one of the women that got worse on the testing, either they, got, they picked up GI problems and the GI got worse or more commonly their adrenal hormones got worse. Every one of them had a significant negative emotional experience during the six months. Okay. One, of them, one of them initiated a divorce in the middle of the study. Yeah. I couldn't say, hey, no, don't, don't get divorced because this is going to ruin right. our Right, it's really going to mess up our data. It just happened, and she's all of a sudden in an apartment instead of in her home, and the kids, and they're fighting, all this kind of stuff. Another one of the uh, patients that got worse, um, her father and her grandfather were both hospitalized with life-threatening problems. She had yeah. twin children that she was taking care of, you know, Working full-time, two twins, well, two twins, obviously, twin kids, working full-time, and then each night going to the dad's hospital and the grandfather's hospital to try to sort out their end-of-life care. And so, understandable, you know, like when you're under that kind of emotional pressure, these programs are not going to be successful because there's too much going on, right? They're in the midst of uh, of a crisis, but... um, Outside of that, and it was, that was really fascinating to me, there, was re, there were reasons why people didn't respond. And there was one or two that were non-compliant with the diet. They just never took the diet seriously. They did it you know, maybe 50% at best. Yeah. And they didn't respond very well either. That's also a really good application of why the statistics don't always show the whole story in a research study is saying, oh, you know, we, we tested functional medicine and we showed, you know, it's, it was non-significant in terms of the adrenal uh, you know, how it affected uh, adrenal function, but to understanding like this is a, you know, an ongoing process and you can't just look at the data and, and extrapolate that all of a sudden either it, you know, black and white, either it works or it doesn't work, which sometimes we get lost in, in terms of scientific research and conventional medicine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's what I, I realized at the end of the study was, you know, these are basically people living their lives. Plus it wasn't a six week study, it was a six month study. So, we, uh, you know, we left enough time for bad things to happen, and, and that's you know, what life is all about, right? It's how we adapt to the stresses that are thrown at us. Dan, what do you think is the biggest limiting factor keeping people from initiating this, this process, initiating, saying, I, I'm aware of, of these testing modalities, I'm aware of this concept of functional medicine, I'm aware that there's so many more practitioners now that are offering these services, but what is the thing that's holding people back from engaging in these services? Oh, Financial? Is, is it having a trusted practitioner? Yeah, I think that people don't understand the power. I, I think we've been, we've been misinformed, not intentionally, but culturally we've been misinformed about where healing really comes from and how healing really takes place. And so like, if you're diabetic, you really kind of think that healing is going to take place in a prescription and it's not, you know? And if you, you know, have Parkinson's disease, you think that the whole healing process is going to take place if you just get on the right medication and it's not. I think, so I think it's a cultural belief problem 
Yeah. I certainly grew up, I mean, I didn't go to like alternative medicine people. My dad took me to regular medical doctors when right. something happened. So I grew up with that same belief system. And my, that belief system for me was shattered the day my dad died because I was 22 years old and in the hospital and my dad has cancer and he dies like three weeks later. Like, crap, that's not good. You know, the best medical care in the world. I mean, these are wonderful doctors. They just couldn't do anything. So I had a kind of early on wake up call like, okay, you know, I don't want to die in my 50s like my dad did. I better figure out maybe there's some other things that we can do. And so I think the people that I see in alternative medicine typically have a personal story like that yeah. where either they got sick or their dad got sick, like in my case, and they had a revelation and they saw that, you know, there was another way. And so that was able to shatter the cultural belief that we all share. And um, it's so deeply ingrained, though. You know, we just see it in the media every day and we, we learn this from our parents. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge is, is, is seeing that there is a, an old, and it's not even a new way. It's kind of an older way, right? The, the, what we're talking about functional medicine is lifestyle changes. This goes back thousands of years. I mean, people, people, this is basically how people have been treating other human beings probably since human beings have been around. So oh. it's almost more of a return back to what we used to do. Modern medicine is more the aberration. I think um, I think that hits the nail on the head with the lifestyle factors, and I, I I'm seeing this transition into functional and alternative medicine, but with the same mindset of fix me and here's your prescription, here's your protocol, is saying, and, and not encompassing the whole body body systems approach of saying, this is not just a test, and here's your protocol, go run with it. Which to be fair, you know, a lot of naturopathic doctors even though they're naturopathic, they're still following this, you know, Western medicine of here's your protocol, here's your prescription approach, even though it's herbal based supplementation. And so I can't tell you how many, how many um, clients I've seen that have seen multiple practitioners, even though they're functional medicine or alternative or naturopathic practitioners that um, are just subscribing to that same model. So when you talk about the lifestyle factor, uh, integrating that in as being just as valuable, if not more valuable, really, than the testing and supplementation approach, I think that's where, I think that's key in, in the whole thing. Yeah, really the way I see it now is that the testing and the supplements are there solely to encourage and push people into compliance with the lifestyle changes. Yes. That's really the purpose of it. And it, it makes a big difference. If you do a lab and you see how messed up your mitochondria are, you're going to be motivated to eat more vegetables to protect your mitochondria. And so like, I think that's the beauty of it is that we can use that scientific tendency we have in our culture to believe things that are science-based and use that to motivate us not to take a bunch of pills or even a bunch of supplements versus a bunch of drugs, but to then make the changes that we know we need to do but don't do. Yeah. You know? And if you show someone that their cortisol is really high at night and you talk to them about getting proper sleep, that test just reinforces the uh, understanding that, or motivation to make the lifestyle change. Yeah, especially for, for people that need that objective data. Is, you know, you get a lot of type A people and they say, well, show me, you know, show me the data. Okay, here, look, your cortisol's through the roof at night. Like you got to chill out and you got to train earlier in the day and you need to shut the television off and your, shut your laptop off. And, and stop drinking caffeine so late in the day so that you can actually secrete melatonin so that your cortisol levels can come down and, and you can allow your you know, parasympathetic nervous system to actually function the way it's supposed to function so that you can go to sleep, right? Um, That's a real trick. Yeah, so I, I found significant value in using the testing 
for those types of people uh, where, uh, you know, wherein the uh, nutrition and lifestyle coaching isn't enough for them. Um, okay, so I want to get um, just, we'll just do a few more questions here. And um, I want to get a little more personal um, about a little bit of with your background. I want to know, Dan, um, what are some failures that you've had um, throughout your career that have kind of helped you or helped set you up for success later on down the road? So I know we used to joke about this when I was younger, my first wife and I, that we were going to put on my tombstone under, you know, Dan Kalish, undeterred by failure. Mm. Uh, so one of my like, chief characteristics is that I'm undeterred by failure. Just keep going no matter what. It's pretty funny. So um, I'd say early on, my biggest failure, I didn't know it was a failure, which is probably a good thing, until I was maybe six or seven years in practice. And that was that I didn't really realize that I was running a small business. Hmm. I mean, I was running a small business. And I was paying taxes and had employees, but I didn't really take that in as a concept until, and so, you know, I just sort of blissfully went for six or seven years and I have this very clear memory one Saturday morning I was in San Diego and I was out on the street and I was going for a run or something Saturday morning and I saw this buddy of mine Kenny Shepard who's another doctor and I'm like hey Kenny what's up and he's like oh yeah I'm driving up to Los Angeles to go to a business seminar and I remember consciously thinking that is so stupid why would a doctor go to a business seminar hmm. and I thought something was wrong with Kenny I was just like oh, that's so weird why is he doing it and then you know of course he was a very astute businessman. He had two clinics. He was really successful. He helped a lot of people. Worked with a lot of professional basketball players, by the way. His names I won't mention. I know him. Yeah. Right? Some of the best basketball players in the whole world. And, um, you know, and then I woke up maybe a few years later and realized, wow, I am running a small business. Maybe I better figure this out. And so that um, many years of business failure in complete ignorance is probably my biggest kind of awakening. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I think... I've certainly been down that road. I know a lot of us health practitioners go down that road as a, like, look, we, you know, we understand health. It's something that's intuitive to us to a degree. We like helping people, but we don't have the first clue as to how to run a business. And so you open up shop and all of a sudden you're doing what you do, but things can certainly get messy. Yeah. Um, and so what sort of advice would you have? Because we do have, you know, we do have a lot of um, health practitioners listening. What sort of advice do you have? Is that something that you teach within your clinical training program? Yeah, we have. Well, now I have a separate practice management class, which is just pure business track. Um, because for the last, I don't know, almost 18, 19 years, I've been pretty focused on on the business building skills, you know, and understanding that. And kind of, I, I feel like I can relate to practitioners too, because I come from this clueless place, but I've been able to be really successful in business and, 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 um, and make my businesses profitable and run really well and, and, and have them support me, you know, in, in, a, in a lifestyle that I really enjoy. Meaning that translates into I don't have to work that much, yeah. you know, in order to be financially well off. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty focused on that in these next few years is looking at how can we get doctors or practitioners like myself who really don't have a clue about business, the basic business understanding, almost like getting a, a business degree in how to run a functional medicine or health coaching practice. And so yeah, we launched the second version of that class 
um, about a month or two ago, and we're starting to really be able to help people in that regard. It's a whole nother can of worms than the clinical side. Um, but as you know, probably an even more um, area that's even just being missed by even more people, you know, than, than the clinical training is. Well, you know, again, is, is we tend to um, gravitate towards courses to learn more, right? We learn more information. We want to learn more about how to help people, but we can't help people if we, we can't manage our books and we can't keep the doors open and we don't know how to get new clients in the door and we don't know how to hire and, and train and create those systems. And so it has immense value, in my opinion, of learning how to take care of that aspect of your business so that you can really be in or out of the business as much as you want to be, right? Yeah, and what happens to all the good practitioners is that if they don't, don't figure out the business skills, they end up overworking and burning out. Yeah. I've seen that pattern so consistently. And I, I was up in Vancouver uh, last month teaching a business, you know, seminar as part of a fertility symposium. And there's about 400 doctors there. And there's about, you know, you had the choice of different talks to go to. There's about 40 or 50 in my talk. And the, the host of the seminar came in. He looked in the room as I want to see who was there. And he looked at me and he said, Dan, every single one of these people I know, these are all the good business people who are taking this business class with you. He's like, the 350 people out there that are doing all the clinical classes, yeah. those are the ones I wish would come here. So again, it's like we don't know what we're missing. And I, I totally understand it because I was like that for years. Exactly, exactly. Dan, what is some of the best advice you've ever received? You know, there's a few things that really stick in my head. There's a, a, a early teacher of mine, Dr. Budding, and I think about this almost every day. He said, and it's just this one liner, you know, but you got to, if you had met this guy, he was one of those really gifted healer teacher people. He said, Dan, we're paid for what we know, not for what we do. So what does that mean? That means that if a patient comes in and she's a fertility case and you spend seven minutes telling her to do something and that seven minutes enables her to get pregnant next month, you didn't do a whole lot. You spent, you know, a short consult, but what was the result of it? Sure. You know, and seeing our value as being what we know, not having to do, 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 you know, do more, do more, do more. That's what the healers tend to always get caught in is like, I just have to do more and that will help. You know, it's what we know and how we impact people. That's really the most profound aspect of the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, Dan, who are you learning from? Who are two or three people that you are currently or have been learning from over this past year or two? Oh, that is a good question. And I did it. I thought I was kind of maxed out on my learning. And I've been doing this for 25 years, so I'm thinking, you know, I, I should know something. I have the best teacher I've ever had right now. His name is Dr. Richard Lord. Yeah. He literally wrote the book, right? He wrote literally. the book on integrative, you know, I laboratory awesome. yeah. right here. Is, There we go. Laboratory evaluations for integrative right. functioning. Richard yeah, Lord. It's a big one. So he has taken me on as his project, and he is transferring everything he knows into my brain. We work together every Monday, and I have learned more working with Richard than I ever have in my whole life. So I can honestly say in the last year, I've learned more about functional medicine than I ever have from this man. He's 
the most amazing teacher and the most knowledgeable human being in the area of functional medicine I've ever run across. And he just, he asks me questions. He quizzes me. He's like, you know, he's in my face teaching me to download all the information he has. I just feel so blessed by that. I can't even tell you. Every, every Monday, it's like, you can ask my staff. I show up in the office after my teaching sessions with Dr. Lord. I'm just so excited. I'm like, the stuff I didn't know. Yeah, so that's been the most satisfying professional relationship I've ever had. And um, we're working on some book materials together and uh, lab interpretation guides together. And he's just really completely getting me up to speed. And it makes me feel like a kid again. It makes me feel like I don't know anything because this man is so knowledgeable. You know, it's just incredible. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. I was fortunate enough to have him for a course because I got, um, I studied through University of Bridgeport for a master's in clinical nutrition um, after I had gone through your training. And um, so obviously a significant portion of the, the coursework is focused on what he's created and the laboratory evaluations and understanding those, really breaking down into more of the biochemistry type stuff and, and trying to understand that with relation to the clinical models. And and uh, man, is he switched on and, and just a pleasure to listen to and talk about case studies and his thought process and yeah. how to evaluate things. And, and so um, that's great. I'm, I'm jealous and, and super happy that you have the opportunity to do that. And just knowing how many practitioners are going to benefit uh, from you, you doing that is, is and, and then how many people well, are, that's gonna, why, you know, from that's why practitioners really, understanding. Yeah. That's why he picked me. You know, he's very clear about that. Is it because we spend a couple hours together every Monday? Hey, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm on the webinars teaching yeah. every one of my doctors everything he just taught me. So the information is just getting disseminated instantly, like literally week to week. Good, that's great. Um, I'm going to let you go, Dan. But um, where can so so you have uh, so with your Kalish model? Uh, of course, your clinic is still seeing um, clients, right? You guys see clients. Yeah, I mostly work with people over the phone. Yeah, you coach people personally, yeah. and but then you also have a practitioner coaching program. Tell me just a little bit about the practitioner coaching program and then how people can find you. Let, let me know that information. Yeah, so we train doctors and health coaches now. I have a new program that we just launched a, about a month ago for non-licensed people as well. Cool. Um, it's called Fundamentals of Functional Medicine, so it does not involve lab testing. It's just the basic stuff that you can do without labs, which I thought was a needed thing for folks. So we have that fundamentals class. We have some you know, more advanced trainings for doctors that go as long as a year. Uh, we released an organic acids only course recently also. So a lot of different offerings, uh, depending on where the person's at and how much they want to engage. Um, uh, that's all. You can find the information on all that uh, coursework at kalishinstitute.com. So K-A-L-I-S-H institute.com. And then I do still see clients, you know, one-on-one um, -on, -one on the phone. And um, you can reach me through uh, the same website. Just look at the patient button and click on that. Awesome, Dan. Uh, so for everyone listening, I'll, I'll make sure and put uh, the information on how to connect with Dr. Dan Kalish and his institute and his functional medicine training program. Um, I'll also put a link uh, below in the show notes to his research study that we were talking about. Um, Anything else, Dan? Anything else uh, you want to share? No, I'm just so glad. I'm so glad that we connected again, you know, because we've lost touch for a few years there, but we come full circle, like you said, 10 well, years ago. Well, you have three kids, multiple businesses, studying for a second master's degree. And yes, I did certainly fall off the radar to a degree, but um, I've, I've certainly been, you know, in the trenches, 
uh, plugging in everything that I learned through, you know, through you, from you. And I, and I can't tell you how appreciative I am to have had the opportunity to learn from you. Um, like I said, it, it, it significantly changed my life and hopefully has, you know, uh, changed uh, the lives of many other people. And, and so thank you so much. Okay, I got to say one last, thing. Yes. one last thing. Okay. This is directly from Richard Lord grilling me last week. You ready for this? We're dealing with people with a hypometabolic state on the organic acids. This is new patterning thing. I can show you some other time, you know? The most severe people, weight loss resistant, all that kind of stuff. What is the number one essential thing that they need to repair their mitochondria? And this blew my mind. I didn't notice until about a week ago. You're asking me what the number one thing is? Yeah, I don't think, yeah. What, I mean, it's kind of ironic because you actually developed a product that is that. It's free for amino acids? Yep. And guess what it has to have because it's a rate limiting step in the repair of lysozymes and mitochondria themselves. Tryptophan. Yes. <laughs> That's so, phenomenal. I'm serious. And we spent two hours talking about this. And if you can just you look up all the PubMed research, tryptophan, without tryptophan, you cannot convert any amino acids into proteins for repair of mitochondria or lysozymes. The only thing you can really do without tryptophan is make collagen. Nope. The, whole, the whole bottleneck is around tryptophan. So if you're using free-form aminos without tryptophan, you're not going to be able to get that cellular repair for the mitochondria to kick back in and for the, that whole energy ATP system to come Wow. Out. How do you like that? Well, well there you go, folks. Uh, <laughs> a free plug for my complete essentials that we formulate through BSL Nutrition as a, you know, a pre intra post-workout product. Um, so I suppose I'll provide a link to that as well. But um, that's awesome, Dan. Uh, yeah, I'm seriously, I mean that not as a promotion for you, but this is like basic information we should all know. I didn't know this until last I, Monday. I had no clue, and and um, so that's that's pretty profound. Yeah. Um, do you have any 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 um, data on dosing of the tryptophan? No, I don't. But it's usually put in a small amount of yeah. tryptophan with the other aminos surrounding it because it's not. Um, Okay. You know, necessary to have a huge amount of tryptophan. It just has to be there as a placeholder in a sense. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for throwing that in. That was a good plug and great. I appreciate it and appreciate you for everything else we've talked about. Um, keep yeah. doing great work and uh, I'll share the love as much as possible and uh, we'll catch up soon.